standard issue for all women. Oh, hey there, Smashers. Surprise. Yeah, that's right. A bonus Saturday podcast. Our excellent Hannah Dunleavy has done a roundup of the TV of the year. So without further ado, here is the 2017 special of Hannah Dunleavy is Outside the Box. Hannah Dunleavy's Outside the Box. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Outside the Box where I'm going to be talking about some of the best things on TV this year. And because just listening to me wanging on for ages might become well boring, hard though that might be to believe, I'm joined by Mick. Oi, oi. And Jen. Hello. Who, <laughs> <laughs> you fuck it. <laughs> who will almost certainly have views, although actually, Jen, you don't watch a lot of TV, no. do you? Just well, EastEnders and Coronation Street. I see, you know, I don't know what you are stuff. playing at because no. we are living in what has been termed the golden age of television. You work me too hard. I don't have time. And there is literally a shitload of great TV on. I just watch what you tell me to watch, in <laughs> fairness. Well, um, I mean, it's not to be clear, it's not all perfect. There were some disappointments this year. Tin Star pitched itself as being somewhere between Justified and Fargo. And it turned out to be somewhere between Sons of Anarchy and a polished turd. Oh. Yeah. The fifth series of Orange is the New Black was pretty misjudged, I thought, and almost single-handedly held together by Daniel Brooks. A brave experiment, but one that didn't really it didn't, click. It didn't really work. And also, what the fuck happened between series one and series two of Top of the Lake? I mean, how you can have a series that's got the names Jane Campion, Elizabeth Moss, and Nicole Kidman attached to it and still fail so badly is beyond me. I haven't watched the second series because you were so down on it. Yeah, and I don't... also said there was no Johnny in it. Well, it's a different matter altogether. <laughs> don't like slagging people's work off particularly, so we'll skip Let's past that. On. I'm also quite leery of creating best of lists because obviously, A, I can't watch everything, and B, it's all subjective anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do a best of 2017 list because by far and away, the two best things on TV this year, I've already talked about quite a lot already, which is The Leftovers and awesome. The Handmaid's Tale. Also awesome. But even with those two removed from my top ten list, there would still be a lot of stuff competing for the remaining spaces on that list. Glow was really terrific. Yay! Although the best character was definitely Mark Maron's character, which is a shame when you had so many amazing women in it. Yeah. As was the adaptation of Top Bird Sarah Poli of another Margaret Atwood novel, Alias Grace. It's on my to-watch list. Which is on Netflix. Um, Blue Planet was worth a licence fee on its own. I've already discussed that extensively. PBS released Ken Burns' Vietnam documentary, which was like a 10-course meal. And I actually mean that in the best way possible. It was completely brilliant. Catastrophe is brilliant. This country was all sorts of promising. Detectorists came back for a final series. I've not watched it yet. I'm so excited. The Americans, which is Fox's 1980s set spy drama, just keeps getting better and better. And on top of all of that, Netflix are about to launch Godless. As we're recording this, the end of November... So I don't know if it's going to be any good or not, but he's got Merritt Weaver slinging a gun in a frontier town with no men in it, which suggests to me that Netflix are intercepting my letters to Santa. It's just like, I don't understand why this would appeal to you, Dunleavy. If we're talking about documentaries, yeah, why in God's name haven't you mentioned... So yeah. Jeff Simpson. Yeah, that was amazing. But I, I mean, that was on telly this year, to be fair, but it's actually a cinema released... <sighs> Thing. I mean, it won an Oscar, didn't it? It so, did. So was it last year? Yeah, so it's kind of last year, but it was tremendous. That's Absolutely. a long old time at the cinema, isn't it? It is. 
Yeah. I, in fact, I don't know how it ended up being eligible for an Oscar. There must be that some rules because... Anyway, but you are yeah. absolutely correct. It was really terrific. Also, and just to prove that Netflix is like totally winning 2017, there's also a series of Black Mirror to come before the year's out and another series of The Crown, both of which are exceptionally good pieces of television. I've not watched The Crown, but Black Mirror is immense. Okay, so what I thought I'd come up with, instead of a best of list, is five things that people might have missed because it's on a channel that you never watch or because there's loads of other good stuff to get through. Stuff that I think is among the best stuff. I can't be any more non-committal than that. Okay, so all of that said, first up is American Gods, which contained my single favourite bit of TV this year. It's based on the book by Neil Gaiman. It's an eight-part series made by Stars, which is a US cable company, but that doesn't matter. It's available here in the UK on Amazon or to buy on iTunes. They also make Outlander, don't they, Stars? I believe That's they do. That's big one. I have read the book. Mickey's read the book, I know. Jen, have you read American Gods? I've not. The main thing I know about this is that Calvin from Hollyoaks is in it. That's how highbrow I am, guys. There's two people that turn up in two really good dramas this year whose CV is inexplicable for them to have achieved, one of which is Ricky Whittle, who is in American Gods, and the second of which is Gary Carr, who is in The Deuce, which I will get to later. And he was, up until this point, previously best known for being in that little advert of a detective series, Death in Paradise. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So that's interesting. But yes, American Gods. You've read the book, Mick. I have read the book. It's an extraordinary book. Um, It's fantasy and history and war and humanity and sci-fi. And it's it's a real mix and a... Absolute page turner. Yeah. Well, the, the the important thing to say with American Gods and the thing that's really reassuring with any film, or sorry, with any actually film or TV adaptation, is if the writer is on board. And he was. Now, it does wander away from the book a little bit, but I think that's good because if you have read the book, then it's a way of keeping some level of suspense for you. Mm-hmm. Like everything, I recommend that it's not going to be everybody's bag. It is incredibly violent crazy the opening five minutes i have never seen anything like that Mm. as an opening five minutes of a television series ever and it's got a central mystery that means if you've not read it you are going to spend quite a lot of time thinking what the fuck is going on but it is actually a shitload of fun it's got ian mcshane doing exactly what he does best it's got gillian anderson playing one role but in several different guises which is fun it's got some really just brilliant cameos peter stamari who uh, is the he's Steve Buscemi's partner in Fargo, probably most famously. It's got Joel Murray, who is Freddie Rumston from Mad Men. He's, Aww, he's, he's Cloris Leachman, who is... She shares... Cloris Leachman shares the record for the most number of Emmys won mm-hmm. with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and I think perhaps that's probably the best example of how sort of beloved Cloris Leachman is. She's about 80 now. She was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And it's got Jeremy Davis playing Jesus, which I don't think anyone can complain at. But that's actually not even the best stuff about it. The, the first thing about it that is brilliant is that it's got an absolutely barnstorming turn by Pablo Schreiber, who you probably recognise from second series of The Wire or maybe Orange is the New Black. And he is he's like proper on fire playing Mad Sweeney, a leprechaun. But if that wasn't good enough, they pair him with a character, like I'm not going to do any spoilers, a character played by Emily Browning, and they send them on a road trip, which is super funny, completely charming, and adds the word leprechaunt. 
to my lexicon, and it should be said in an Irish accent, leprechaun is how you say it, if you're wondering. Um, but that isn't even the best bit. The best bit about it is the structure of the series lends itself to these little vignettes, would probably be the best way to describe it, which sort of function as short stories within the series. The best of which, and for me, like I say, the single best bit of TV this year, is the tale of Mr Nancy, basically a glorious five-minute rant delivered to absolute perfection by Orlando Jones about the sad history of African-Americans in the US. I have a clip of it here. Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, a man got fucked. That's the story of black people in America. (laughs) Shit, you all don't know you black yet. You think you just people. Let me be the first to tell you that you are all black. The moment these Dutch motherfuckers set foot here and decided they white, and you get to be black, and that's the nice name they call you? Let me paint a picture of what's waiting for you on the shore. Now, you've watched... I haven't watched American Gods, but I have made you watch that scene, Mick. It's incredible. Um, You watched me watching it, which is odd. I had my headphones on, and I was chuckling, and Hannah, it's, it's kind of... It's very fierce, but there are moments of levity in it as well which you possibly it's one of those why am I laughing at that that's yeah. kind of a weird time to be laughing but Hannah pinpointed exactly what lines I'd giggled at yeah and she was correct but it's it's incredible it really is I, I read an interview with Orlando Jones where he said that he described that scene as balls hot and what he was referring to was that they had to build a replica of a slave ship he was wearing a, like a three-piece suit in it and there's like 50 men in there with him that's just who's in the scene, let alone the camera, the rigging, the lights and all of that. So he was referring set a fire. He said that it was like in his words, Bulls Hot was referring to the temperature, but I actually think Bulls Hot is a fairly accurate representation. A lot of TV, all of, I would say the best TV this year has been on the fucking nose about what's going on in the world as we speak. The Hammer's Tale, the leftovers, some other things that are coming up that we're gonna talk about. The Americans. It's about it's about Russian interference in American politics, and it's it's sitting on Shush, TV Hannah, now. Come on. So yeah, and I think this bit of American Gods couldn't be more timely. Frankly, I feel. I mean, obviously, some people might have issue with the language. More fill them. It's just words. But I kind of feel like it should be shown in schools. <laughs> a sort of you know, there's not enough black yeah. history. Here is a potted version yeah. of what the the white man did to yeah, four hundred twenty odd years in mm. in five minutes. It's incredible. So watch that. I will. Next up, I want to talk about The Deuce, which is made by HBO and available to watch in the UK on Sky Atlantic or whatever other TV providers show Sky stuff. I, I think, think now, any others show Sky Atlantic. I think now TV does. Ah, I think now TV No, now TV Sky. is Sky, though. Yeah, but you don't have to have a full Sky No, package. you can, yeah. Yeah. It's made by longtime collaborators David Simon and George Pelicanos. Oh, hello. There's a duo of talent. Yeah, most famous for their collaborations on The Wire and Treme, which I think we can all agree are excellent pieces. I haven't seen television. Treme, but I Maybe did not. love The it's Wire. It's all right, Treme. I don't think it's brilliant. It was a slow burn. It certainly was. I think The Wire was, actually, initially. Well, yeah. well actually, interesting. What I will say about The Deuce is mm. I didn't watch The it episode by episode knowing how impenetrable sometimes David Simon dramas can be Mm. 
I watched three episodes in one go at the start, and then you feel like you're in a universe and you have a better concept of who that is and what's going on. I think they understand that, though, because the first episode is an hour and a half. Yeah, To really pull you into the world. Uh, Yeah. So the name The Deuce comes from the nickname for the section of New York's 42nd Street between 7th and 8th Avenue, which is basically the bottom end of Times Square, which between the early 1970s and the mid-1980s became like the epicentre for what became known as the golden age of pornography. Simon himself says it's about the, and I quote, commodification of women's bodies, which would normally send my sort of spidey senses tingling, given that, you know, Simon and Pelicanos are men. Mm -hmm. But, you know, given their history as chroniclers of sort of the dark side of the American dream, which Mm. is what they've done with, like I say, with Treme, with... Generation Kill, which was about the the war in Iraq. I did feel like a level of trust with them that I wouldn't have had, say, you know, if Aaron Sorkin or someone like that. They absolutely know how to tickle a sleazy underbelly. Yeah. Yeah, but then don't you think like The Wire was, I don't know, I I thought The Wire was at times like really like gratuitous in terms of like. The Wire is quite misogynist. The Wire is about men. There's no, yeah. It's about young men in particular. Yeah. It's about youth, isn't yeah. it? And I read an interview with David Simon and he did with Alan Seppermore, who's a great TV critic. Obviously not as good as me. But, um, <laughs> and he talks about how they got women into the writer's room after they'd done a first draft with this because they knew that they needed women's input. And he said, like, as soon as they came in, the women pointed at stuff and went, nah. you know. And I think mm. that was a really smart move by him because... Having watched eight episodes of this and watched something that is about the television series about the objectification of women, and it has completely sidestepped the landmine of objectifying women itself. I think it's it's that line that you've said before, and it's a brilliant line about sexism on television, and it's whether it is depicting sexism as it was of that era or, or whether it's being, being sexist. sexist. Absolutely. And like um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's one of the exec producers on it and she her is. character Candy is like one of the main characters. Yep. The women voice stuff that they're not happy about. There is a lot of female uh, nudity but there's also male nudity. Oh well I, I, will, get, I will get to that but yeah, I, think, I think one of the things it really gets is that I, I sometimes think that men writers don't get when they're writing about women is that when you have a group of women in a similar situation, even if they are competition with each other or whatever, there is usually likely solidarity. Mm. You're right. It's, they don't pitch women against other women. They pitch yeah. the women together against the system yeah. and about what's going on. Now, yeah. obviously, it's about porn, so there is a lot of flesh on show. In fact, there's a, a scene where one of James Franco's characters, and I'll get to that because he plays two characters, has to leave the screening of a gay porn film because, and I quote... That was a lot of cock. And <laughs> I feel like that every time I, I finish watching an episode of The Deuce. I've never seen so much cock on TV as in The Deuce. Agreed. Definitely. Yeah, agreed. It stars a lot of people that you've probably seen in other David Simon projects, like from The Wire, there's Chris Bauer, who I fucking love, Method Man. Is Chris, uh, Chris Bauer's not Frank Sabotka, is he? Frank, Chris Frank Bauer is Frank Sabotka. <laughs> That's how I know him. Uh, <laughs> Method Man is the in the it. The Wu-Tang uh, Clan fame. Wu-Tang Clan, sorry. He was cheese in The Wire. There's also Yabengi Akinagbi, who is Chris Partlow. And actually, he might be my favourite thing in it because he is a, a pimp having an existential crisis. And it's 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 not played for laughs. Uh, Anwar Glover, who is um, Slim Charles, is in it. Um, 
there's Chris Coy from Tremay. You watch Tremay. Yep. He's the reporter. Turns yep. up in the third series. He's in it. And there are a few new faces. Maggie Gyllenhaal, obviously, we've mentioned. Dominic Fishback, who is tremendous in it. And James Franco, who's playing two roles. And what I will say is, and it's possibly because Orphan Black has ruined the idea of people playing off themselves for me, he is playing one role much better than he's playing the other role. And I currently can't see the point of having Franco play two roles. He's playing identical twins that wouldn't have been served by just casting a different actor and just saying it was his brother, unless some pretty major hints which have been dropped about A Tale of Two Cities turn out to be something that is going to happen. So, like I say, it might not be your bag, but I really enjoyed it. And it's a huge, great dose of social history, which I really like. I like a television series that makes me come away and Google shit Mm. and say, oh, I want to know more about that. And obviously this is going to stretch over a 14-year period. It started now. The The second series is going to take place in the late 1970s. And the third one is going to take place in the tail end of the sort of the golden age of porn, which is 1984, which means it's going to be taking place at the epicentre of the AIDS crisis, which a rarely discussed period, which, if you ask me, we always needs to be looked at more. And there's also some great art come out of that period, Angels in America, A Normal Heart, some really great stuff. So hopefully this will add to the sort of pantheon of things that are great about that talk about that time. On a lighter note as well, I think Stranger Things has set a real precedent for people to properly up their pop culture references when they're making stuff. Yeah. But there are just these lovely little moments where they make you feel like you're part of that era. Watch the deuce and don't blame me if you see a bit too much cock, is all I can say. I think if I actually got a man to stand with his cock out and balanced on my television, there'd still be more cock on the juice. Okay, so that's two US drama series, so we best have a British one. So I would say a hidden gem that didn't get watched enough was Gorilla, which was made by Sky Atlantic. Gorilla spelled G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, yeah, clearly, as opposed to, you know, the big ape. Available to watch on Sky Catch-Up Service and other TV packages, and I believe now available to buy on DVD and iTunes. Also set in the early 1970s, this time in London based around the 1971 Immigration Act. It's a six-part series. tells the story of a radical cell of a fictional black power movement who decide to break one of their team out of jail. And then things start to spin out of control. And it is very, very good. First thing to say is, it again, it feels quite timely. Mm. Like I say, there's a lot of good TV. It does a really good job of reminding you, I think, that for good or for ill, that unrest in one country rarely comes alone as we're seeing now Mm. there's a lot of shit going on in a lot of places and it does a really good job of saying that you know even before the internet and things like this what what's happening on the streets of london is is connected to what's happening on the streets of belfast what's happening on the streets of quebec what's happening in germany what's happening in america the second thing to say is the cast is absolutely fucking cracking it's got a lovely cast doesn't it it has uh frida pinto is terrific uh zoe ashton is Absolutely fantastic. Babu Sise, who um, you may... He's in your Damalola. He was. Um, he was, he yeah. was the dad. In, he's terrific. And it's a really clever piece of casting with him because he is kind of avuncular and it enables him to sort of surprise you a couple of times. Wami Masaku, who 
also, also in the, yeah, the uh, mum in that. Yeah, yeah, she's terrific. But best of all, I have to say, is Rory Kinnear, who literally makes your skin crawl in it. And, like, for me, he is banging on Mark Rylance's door saying... Can I have the title of Britain's greatest actor, Ooh. please? Well, that's a bold that claim. is very bold. Yeah, he is really good, Rory Kinnear, and he is oh, in this. He's that thing where he's really menacing, mm. and you just hate him, and he scares you, and you worry for people who are connected to him. But at the same time, he is pathetic. He is sniveling, Ooh, and you I just think, face right now. What a cunty! Is bloke. he? Is he more menacing than he is in Penny Dreadful? He certainly doesn't have quite the entrance he has in Penny Dreadful, <laughs> um, which might be one of my favourite entrances ever on TV. He's a full-on nasty bastard, and he does it tremendously well. You're missing quite a big name from the old cast. Hannah. Oh, I'm sorry, I am. And he was involved in the production, and yes. it was, it was yeah. a pet project. Go on, his. Jen. Go on, treat yourself. It's big drizz, isn't it? It is. It just Elba. Um, he does a thing that I always respect when people do it. He doesn't cast himself in the best role by any stretch of the oh, imagination. Really? I thought you were going to no. talk about him running with his That's hands exactly in his pockets. That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. He does not run with his hands in his pockets, which is a shame. <laughs> I think, obviously, if you are producing something, you have to be able to take a step back, and he does. And he has a good role, and he has an age-appropriate role. Um, I think, you know, he's that little bit older than sort of a lot of the people that, like Frida Pinto and Zoe Ashton, so it makes more sense yeah. that... Um, so that's three really ooh, drama things. So let's have a comedy. Um, of sorts. Of sorts. Now, I realise everything I said at the start about not creating lists, but truth be told, if I was going to say what are the best things on TV this year, it would go like this. Number one, The Leftovers. Number two, The Handmaid's Tale. Number three, Bojack Horseman. Whoop, 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 whoop. Um, Netflix animated sitcom that's gone from being good to being excellent to being just fucking extraordinary. Seriously, to now. being Hannah and I texting each other, going that episode with the oh my god! As you know, I like the darkness, as in the comedy concept, not as in the Norfolk-based glam rock band. But this is dark. I danced to uh, MC Hammers. You can't touch this with yeah. Justin Hawkins once. True story. This is dark, and I'm going to attempt to be spoiler-free because I genuinely think that everybody should go off and watch BoJack Horseman because it's incredible. But there are three absolutely killer episodes in this series, which is the fourth series. One of which goes into the mind of someone with dementia, one of which goes into the mind of someone with depression, and one of which, bit by bit, somebody loses absolutely everything that matters to them in a single day. And this, to me, was the real punch in the tits episode because it dangled hope in front of you and then it pulled it away right at the end of the episode. There were no carrots for Bojack Horseman. There aren't. I'm not the first to say it, and I certainly won't be the last, but I think it's worth repeating that voice acting does not get the recognition it deserves. And both Will Arnett and Amy Sedaris are absolutely terrific in Bojack Horseman. I mean, there's a lot of other great performances too. Alison Brie, who is great, not just here, but in general. But it's, it's really tremendous. I think what's interesting about Bojack Horseman is, is like being dark in comedy, is there's nothing new in that. That's been going on since the Greeks. What makes Bojack Horseman different is it doesn't actually get its laughs from the darkness. It actually plays that stuff pretty straight, like really it was a drama. Straight, yeah. What it gets laughs from is all the other stuff that's happening around the edges. And what's happening around the edges is sometimes just bonkers and stupid. And it's got a running joke about banners that have been misprinted that are always hanging around. Like there's a banner that says, at some point there's a banner that says, congratulations, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter. Peanut butter is one word. Um, there's another one that says, welcome home, brother. Oh, and I have a group on. <laughs> there's another bit where Bojack Horseman, who is a horse, he buys 
his agent slash, you know, fuck buddy, Princess Carolyn, who is a cat, a present, and she opens it up and it's in a box. And in it is all, all it is is just some screwed up gift paper. paper. And she goes, oh, and just starts playing with it. And just the, the running jokes as well. The fact that Hollywood is now established as Hollywood yeah. because they nicked the D in the first season. But now it's it's all Hollywood. Yeah. Watch it, Jen. It okay. is absolutely okay. cracking. That, the the three episodes you just named are incredible. But the one where you are in Bojack's head for all of the episodes, you just got his interior monologue as tips my world upside down. I cannot stop thinking about it. And that I think there's always at least three episodes in a season of Bojack that properly make you think about stuff and rethink things. And for me, in season three, there was one where he was underwater and there's yeah. very, very little dialogue in it for a, what ends up being quite yeah. a comical reason. But it is just beautiful and it feels like because they're animating that they're, they're, they're just taking loads of different risks and pushing boundaries but keeping a very human heart and soul and stuff that we all recognize and relate to at, at the core of it um i interviewed lisa hannawalt who is one of the chief designers and chief illustrators on it if you want to have a look at that on our archive she was amazing and told me about where she came up with the ideas and why they like to push those boundaries but it is an incredible series yeah my last suggestion of a hidden gem is bbc two's motherland now i know being on bbc two doesn't actually qualify as being hidden but it is one of those series that was uploaded to the iPlayer in one go. And I know that when that happens, it's really easy to say, I'll just watch that later and then never actually get around to it, which you really should because it is terrific. Um, disclaimer alert, there are a lot of women involved with this series that are, let's say, friends of Standard Issue. It was written by Sharon Horgan, who has, been on, who has been on one of our panels. And Holly Walsh, who has been on one of our panels. Two of our panels. Two, yeah. Helen Linehan, who was our car boot sale correspondent back when we were an online magazine. Check, out, check that out on the archive. Booty. <laughs> it stars Anna Maxwell Martin, who, as of yet, has not been on one of our panels. Diane Morgan, who has been on one of our panels. And was also Rita Cockshot. And, uh, Is to write our stars. Sorry, no, Linda Cockshot. Yeah. And wrote our horoscopes. Sarah Kendall is in it, who has He's been on one of our panels. Yeah, yeah. and um, used to write for us. Jess Foster Q, who has been on one of our panels and was, our, of our, panels, and was yeah. our food reviewer yeah. uh, back when we were an online magazine. So obviously I do feel a little bit biased towards this because it's great to see people that, that make me laugh just working, just yeah. there well, out there's, doing there's stuff. There's a reason why we wanted them on our panels. Yeah. I mean, all of that said, it is about middle class motherhood, something which I, I know or care not a fucking jot about. And yet it still repeatedly made me laugh. Nowhere more so than the scene where the character played by Anna Maxwell Martin, who is actually really good because I don't think I've ever seen her do comedy before. I think I've only ever seen her do serious roles. Gritty. Yeah. But she goes to pick up her parents-in-law from a train station and it is possibly the closest thing to my life that I've ever seen on television in that she pulls into the train station and she winds down the car window and she shouts... Wait there, I'll drive round and pick you up. And then an absolute comedy of what happens when your parents or parents-in-law, whatever, try to be helpful and make life easier for you. And it just goes downhill really quickly. And I had to watch that scene about five or six times and then ring my brother and tell him to watch that and just say, although that in itself hasn't specifically happened, the whole, where are my glasses? thing that breaks out when your parents do have to pull a load of suitcases behind them and stuff like that. Absolutely fucking perfect. Well done, those women. So there we go. We've reached the end. Anybody else want to throw in a 
suggestion of something that they... Well, no, I'm like, because I just take my cues from Hannah, apart from Bojack, which I found through other routes and wanged on about myself. Uh, I I literally just finished Justified, which ended in 2015, but I've been having a lovely time. I've only just watched the second series of Happy Valley, mate. Oh, I've just watched that as well. Uh, Did you watch it on Netflix? Yeah, I did. Yeah, Yeah, what I need to say about that is I discovered this the other day. Netflix, or I don't know who it is, has cut 10 minutes out of every episode. What? What? And the... I watched the last episode when I discovered this fact and what it has done is cut the best scene that's ever been in Happy Valley out of the last episode and I was fucking livid. I don't know who makes that decision of what to cut but it is cut by 10 minutes. Why have they done that? Just because they need to... I don't don't know actually. It doesn't actually make a... bonkers, isn't it? I I tell you what, I did think it might be and that's just an idea. When stuff gets... Because BBC makes shows to Mm -hmm. an hour. Well, I think it's like 56 minutes what what you get. When stuff gets syndicated, which means it gets picked up and shown abroad, a lot of television channels have, obviously, adverts. I mean, you can tell how many adverts you get to watch on TV by how long, when you just watch it on its own, something is. That's how many adverts are in. So I think... They cut it to go out to syndication, and that syndication That's also involves Netflix. So then it comes back okay. and comes back out. But it's a shame because, like I say, there is a tremendous. I mean, you know, uh, spoiler alert, but you know what happens at the end of Happy Valley? Yeah. There's a scene where Catherine Kaywood yeah. goes to visit character played by Susan Lynch in hospital, and it's absolutely tremendous. It's like the best, the best scene, and she has, then they have a conversation about you know mm. the concept of. Saving, you know, has she has she saved it? Oh, actually, they don't. They have a lot of subtext. They have a conversation that's got a lot of subtext yeah. about that. I would say when I'm talking about Happy Valley, that I actually think Happy Valley is basically a western. It's yeah, got, that's it's got a really western. Yeah, yeah, it's got a really western aesthetic. It's got a really western vibe. Yeah. And that scene is one of the things that really really enforces that idea mm. because it's the idea that if you save a life, you've kind of carry a responsibility for that life, and mm. I think that's a really Western thing, and that was re- really central to that scene in Happy Valley that was cut. So There's even like mm. almost a saloon door scene in oh, Happy Valley That, too, is, all, that is also cut. That's a much longer scene where she comes out, she comes like out of the school like a gunslinger, and they pass each other like they yeah. would, and you almost wait for them to turn around and like fire at each other, and it's, yeah, that's also cut. So if anyone knows who or why that happens, I'd be interested in hearing about it because it gets on my tits. Is there anything you're looking forward to that's coming up? In the new year, uh, there will be, I believe, another series of Line of Duty. I do like a bit of Line of you Duty. You do, don't you? Yeah. I do. And there is a new series of Westworld. I wasn't the biggest fan of Westworld. I've no idea where it's going with this. I have done no reading around it. What I did say when I wrote a review, like the weekly reviews of Westworld, was that I would watch it if Tandy Newton was in it again. And she is. Yeah. And therefore, I think I am in, but I possibly will come out of Westworld if it if it disappoints me. Do you know what else is coming up? What? Lufa. Is there a series, a new series of, Lufa. of Lufa? Yeah, they keep saying they're not doing it anymore, and then they keep doing more. No, this has been like this has been in the pipeline for a long time. Drew's like a big Drew. It's Drew's my mate. My mate Drew's. Yeah, my mate He, I think he like genuinely really. Loves Lofa and the dude, the writer is he John Cross, the writer, and also it's making the BBC a lot of money in America. So you is know, it now? like oh, it's doing, it's really popular in America. Actually, I think he got nominated for an Emmy. He's been nominated twice, I think, for Emmys for 
I mean, we've said that. Mickey is <laughs> Mickey is laughing because like this is I've, suddenly Jen has things to say. Yeah. Luther, I mean, I, that, the joy of watching a man run with his hands <laughs> in his pockets is just incredible. But it is really a collection of cliches. Oh, do you know what the first series? And I I have written about this for. I think it was actually called. We had a series of why I heart something or other, and mine was why I sort of heart Luther. Um. You've got to say it, Lufa. You can't say it any other Lufa. way. Lufa, Ellis, uh, Ellis. It's creepy. I know I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> you want to say what my friend Alice thinks when I go up to her behind her and go, "Hello, Ellis." <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so that's all for this year from Outside the Box. Thanks very much for listening. We will be back, or I will be back talking more television in the new year. In the meanwhile, if there's anything you're desperate to chat to me about, I'm always available for friendly chit-chat about TV on Twitter, where I am, at that Dunleavy. Until next year, Happy New Year from Outside the Box.